Today we're going to talk about several things in the agency and brand space, but the through line is going to be yogurt. And if you don't think it's going to be all that interesting, well, clearly you are lacking in culture. You know who's not lacking in culture? Peter McGinnis. The guy eats like two, three cups of yogurt a day. He's the first and only CMO of Greek yogurt brand Chobani since he joined the brand in 2013. And just as it revolutionized the U.S. Greek yogurt industry a decade ago, Chobani is now taking the in-house agency model to the next level. The yogurt brand is doing more than 90% of its creative work internally, and spearheading that charge is McGinnis, who prior to Chobani clocked more than two decades on the agency side, starting with a long run at McCann and ending as the president and CEO of DDB Chicago. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and you are listening to AdLib. Peter McGinnis joins the podcast today to talk about his career arc and the fresh self-awareness that being on the brand side has brought him about his agency days. He discusses Chobani as a brand with purpose. Its founder, Hamdi Ulu Kaya, is a Turkish immigrant and outspoken defender of refugee rights. McGinnis also discusses the specific challenges and opportunities in the yogurt market. U.S. Greek yogurt market sales slid about 11% in 2018, though they are on an uptick now. Must be all those probiotics. But first, before we get started, I want to thank our sponsor, Quad. Quad helps brands do more with less in an increasingly complex marketplace. From a foundation and print, Quad has built a full range of strategic and creative services. Check out the new Quad at quad.com. And now, let's get into some yogurt. Peter McGinnis, Chief Commercial and Marketing Officer at Chobani. Correct? Correct. Welcome to the show. I got the first <laughs> Thanks one. for having me. I got the first one right. Good to be uh, here. Uh, it's, it's great to have you here. Chobani was, our, was the Ad Age in-house agency of the year this year, yeah. uh, awarded last month, so congratulations. I did not put a thumb on the scale there, so you earned that all on your own. Um, first and most important question is, how much yogurt do you eat in a day? A cup, you know, probably two cups, two maybe cups? three. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, you know, it's my job, so yes, I eat yeah. a lot of yogurt. Yes. Um, have a lot of probiotics, yeah, which is good. Your digestion must be really on point right now. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's it's good to be regular. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's start with, with you, uh, and then we can get a little bit more into how you got into the yogurt landscape, which is an expression I've always wanted to say out loud, and now I have. Sure. The yogurt landscape. Um, you you are actually, um, you started on the agency side. You were, you were at, most recently or latest at, at president and CEO of DDB Chicago, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. yeah. Uh, very corporate, part of a major uh, conglomerate, a holding group, the whole shebang. Uh, and now you're working directly with a founder at a private company. Yes. Um, what? But I started across the street at 653rd Avenue. Oh, really? That's where McCann Erickson was. Yeah, yeah I was so going to, that was early close, in your career. Close to 20 years there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was going to get, so I'll get, I'll get back to McCann, but, but just talk about that switch from uh, the, sort of the corporate agency li life to working directly with the founder of a, of, a, of a company. Yeah, I think, you know, the switch from agency life to client life, I think it's a bit dramatized. Right. Which is fine. And I think it's a little over-sensationalized. It was pretty easy, actually. And um, I, I think maybe because it was to Chobani, it was easier because it's a private company, it's entrepreneurial, mm -hmm. it's founder-led, uh, it's a pretty creative place. Um, I think if I was thrust into a giant CPG company that was matrixed and layered and mm -hmm. 
not very creative, it would have been a bit more jarring of a shift. But it was pretty seamless, and it wasn't as hard or as dramatic um, as, you know, it's made to be or conventional wisdom would say. Um, And, you know, again, when you're in the advertising business for so long, you're a communicator. So when you go on the client side, you're communicating. So, you know, um, obviously I'm a CMO. I have all the advertising under me, all the marketing, all the packaging, but also corporate communications and corporate affairs and PR and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, under me at Chobani, and it's all just a form of communication, mm-hmm. whether you're communicating on pack or the piece of in-store material or an ad or, you know, something digital or social or with um, publications and magazines and newspapers. You're trying to communicate something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the other thing I learned was, you know, oh, you're in advertising. You, ca- you can't work across mediums and channels and vehicles and it's just nonsense it's just communication do people still say that i think people do i think there is still a bit of a you know you're an ad guy or you're you know you're a social you know guru or you're a tv guy you're a tv guy and the end of the day if you know good communication is good communication And and you were the the company's first CMO, right? This role didn't really exist. Yes, didn't exist. Did did you pitch them, or did they come to you, or how did this work? Well, when I ran Gotham way back when, before DDB, kind of after McCann and before DDB, um, I was chairman CEO of Gotham, and we had uh, pitched and won the account. Mm. We actually pitched it, thought we won it, didn't win it, and then we won it six months later by kind of being persistent and staying connected. Um, and I got to know the brand really well. Mm-hmm. It was their first kind of real agency that they had. What year was this? Uh, this would have been probably in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so about eight, nine years ago. And got to know the brand very well in its early formative years. Got to know the founder really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamdi. Hamdi, Ulu- yeah. Ulukaya? Ulukaya, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, in the end, um, at that point, they wanted kind of brand consistency and they wanted a branding idea um, and they did want a campaign. They were very small at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them, the challenge really was supply, wasn't demand because, you know, they were growing a couple hundred percent a year at that point because Greek yogurt had taken yogurt by storm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the original superfood if you think about it. It's high protein, low sugar. It's mm-hmm. still the most on trend type of food if you think about it. And um, and so we went and did all this you know, marketing work. Yeah, I like that you got your little plug in there too, little, little pitch. Good. Um, I'm shameless now. <laughs> but, um, you know, we did all these demand generating things for them. Uh-huh. And in reality, they had a supply challenge, right. not, a, not a demand opportunity at that time. Um, but what that did was, I think, solidified Chobani's place on a national stage. <laughs> and I think it secured funding so that they can continue to expand. And I think at that point, everybody, whether you know you were a bank or an investor, kind of looked at the brand and said, this could go just about anywhere um, if it had supply. Um, and so that's what I think the critical piece of it was. It, was, it wasn't necessarily a consumer pull um, because they already had demand. It was a solidification of the power of this brand and, and the power of the products this brand made mm-hmm. um, to, to say, look, let's help this company supply 
and expand, and it can go anywhere. Yeah. And then, you know, the rest is history. It went on, it went zero to a billion dollars in five years. Yeah. Grew faster than Facebook and Google and pretty much anything. And he went on to win Entrepreneur of the World. And he, of you know, he's world. a yogurt maker. He won Entrepreneur of the U.S., then <laughs> went on to win Entrepreneur of the World yeah. as a yogurt maker. So it's crazy. That's pretty nuts. And and yogurt uh, ha did completely take off, especially Greek yogurt. It's it's slowing down now. We can talk about the challenges that are yeah. facing you guys. Uh, U.S. yogurt market sales slid about 3.3% in 2018. Uh, drop was steeper in Greek yogurt, uh, which was around 11%. This is according to our reporting. Uh, what, what's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually rebounded quite a bit this year. This so year if you look at year to date, uh, the yogurt uh, category is down 1% mm -hmm. and Greek is down about 4 mm -hmm. So it's about, it's less than half of the decline of last year okay, and ramping up. But So the party's not over? The party's not over and I think that's also sensational news too, right? right? Well, um, it's fun to be. It there. had, you know, you know, look, I think the category, you know, hit a speed bump last year. It was a confluence of things that I think pretty much are all self-inflicted. It was uh, over-promoting. It was um, a lot of irrational pricing happening. So a lot of the decline was dollar, mm -hmm. not volume. And then I think there was a, a lot of SKU proliferation. I mean, it's a very strange category. You have about 475 SKUs on shelf, right. 800 in the total universe, which is crazy. And there were a ton of new entrants just in the time that you've been there. A ton. It's yeah. doubled, really, yeah. since I've been there. So, you know, you have 800 in the universe, 475 on average at shelf, and twice a year, 20% changes. Mm -hmm. So they have resets, and you can win or lose distribution. So there's a lot of churn. Um, and then uh, just a lot of SKU duplication, a lot of SKU proliferation. Is it SKU, SKU? Yeah, SKU, right. yeah. And, uh, and I think all of that led to some consumer confusion, mm -hmm. and then it led to some price deflation. Um, a lot of people like to say, hey, it's plant-based, but plant-based is less than 2% of total yogurt. Mm -hmm. It's growing but off a very small base, and the people eating plant-based are eating dairy. They're kind of flexitarians. So mm -hmm. that's not the real reason, um, but it's starting to bounce back. Mm -hmm. And so we're very bullish on this year. We're growing um, this year, year to date, um, in dollars and volume. Um, we launched a bunch of new stuff in you January. A, you have a kids product. You have some more non-dairy. Non we launched on dairy. We launched Gimme's, which is our kids platform. Yeah. Uh, Gimme's is I mean, kids are growing um, seven or eight percent. That's mm -hmm. a real bright spot in the category. And we launched a even lower sugar Greek called mm -hmm. Less Sugar Greek. Very simple. It's nine grams of sugar, um, so it's super high protein, even lower sugar. And that's doing really well. And uh, we're going to launch a bunch of stuff coming up here in the next two months in July because that's the other reset. Mm -hmm. um, so we feel good. Yeah. yeah. And you guys have, have, have played with new products before. You did a couple years ago the, the dips, the meze. We did meze. Meze. Yeah, we did, did the dips a few years ago. Didn't, didn't quite click. I think uh, it was a great product ahead of its time. Yeah. You know, I mean, it made sense nutritionally, mm -hmm. uh, and it was certainly on trend, um, and it delivered a great taste with high nutrition, right? right? You're talking a lot of protein and a lot less fat than anything sour cream-based. Right. But it was a new area of the store for us. It was in the deli, you know, and it was up, you know, with all the hummus there, and mm -hmm. it just didn't take off. Mm -hmm. And frankly, you know, we were distracted and want to do other things. Um, and so we just voluntarily Pulled back. took it off the shelf and moved on to other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk about the working with, with Hamdi, the world's 
greatest entrepreneur of the whatever entrepreneur of the world. He recently put out a TED talk and he said that the playbook that has been guiding CEO, both businesses and CEOs for like the last 40 years or whatever is broken. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys talk about that? Uh, when you're interacting, and what is that? What sure, does that, what sure. does that mean that the the playbook is is broken? Sure, I run corporate communications. I, for would, I would think so. <laughs> um, what he meant by it, and I think it's a very powerful uh, notion, um, is that he doesn't think profit should be ahead of people mm-hmm. and humanity. And what he thinks is you can be. A warrior and a shepherd as a CEO. Chobani means shepherd. So you can be mm. a shepherd and want to do right. And a shepherd does things unconditionally and will give you the shirt off your back to help you. But then you can be a freaking warrior and hate your competition and want to win. Mm. I mean, we are a for-profit company. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we use our profits for good things, for community, um, disaster relief. We have, you know, uh, a foundation. Uh, we do a lot of refugee work, as you all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he was saying is businesses need to step up. So NGOs and governments are not going to solve the world's problems. And if we can get businesses to step up with heart um, and humanity, we can change the world for the better. Mm-hmm. And what he meant by specifically the CEO playbook is broken and we need a new one, there's really four key points to that. One was employee first. Two is um, kind of citizens, if you will. Um, So, uh, I'm sorry, two is communities. So you should really be there for the communities that you, you know, operate in. If you have factories and plants and, you know, we do community work 52 weeks out of the year because we bought a factory and it was going to shutter that community. And the third thing is citizens, global citizens, a third of our workforce are refugees. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth thing is the consumer, you know, the consumer should, should speak and vote with their wallet. And if they don't like what companies are doing and what CEOs are doing, they should veto that company and that CEO with their wallet. Yeah, we talk a lot around around here about brands taking stands and and, and why it, why it works so well for some companies. It does work for a Chobani. It works for a Nike uh, when brands sort of take a position. Patagonia works. Patagonia works. Yeah. Uh, and the others, it doesn't. Whether it's a you know no, notoriously there was the Pepsi ad uh, that they pulled after one airing, but there's also Gillette has has tried with the sure. toxic masculinity. What how, what what are the ingredients to make that work for a brand? Because it doesn't always. It it's, I, I agree. Number one, I think a lot of those were ad campaigns, so it mm. felt exploitive and mm. it felt commercial. Um, and if it's exploitive and commercial, it's not authentic and genuine. Um, I think why it works for companies like a Chobani or a Patagonia or Nike, it's because that's what they were all about. Mm. I, from day one, we, we stood for inclusion and equality. Mm. And our hiring practices, you know, our founder, Turkey, um, he's an immigrant himself, great American story, you know, SBA loan, made it from nothing. Um, so we always stood for it. And we have many, many examples of it. So if we ladder it up or we do certain programs around that, it feels like a natural extension of who we are and what we're all about. And consumers basically say, yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course Giovanni would do that. Kind of feels very Giovanni. And I think um, well, if you're a, trying to a... be something you're not, mm-hmm. Or pivot because of market conditions or 
your brands are old and stale or not relevant or not on trend and you're trying to do this stuff, it feels very, I mean, people are very suspicious of that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. consumers are incredibly smart. Um, and, there, and some consumers are incredibly cynical and they see through that. Um, so start, you know, start with your authentic self and build from there. And then also like everything we do, we've never single, we've never done a single paid for campaign around any of the good deeds we've done. Mm -hmm. It's organically gotten out of, out, um, through, you know, social or PR. Mm -hmm. and, and, and now when you talk about sort of campaigns and the work that you guys do, about 90% of your creative is done in-house. Is that right? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Um, that was a, wasn't always the case. Um, no. What was the, the thinking that went into bringing it in-house and what are the advantages? Yeah, I think, and, and I want to first start by saying this is not an indictment on agencies. Mm -hmm. I came from the agency world. We still use agencies. We just use less of them. And there are great agencies out there. And I think, you know, to not play off playbook, but I think, you know, every CMO has to have his or her own playbook. Mm -hmm. It works for Chobani. We are very fast moving. We change our mind a lot. Um, and, and we flex and stretch. And, um, you know, the learning curve is very high, Chobani, because uh, not just the brand, but the products and our point of view. And I think it's just we're faster having it internally. Um, and I think when we're agile having it internally, I think there's less of a learning curve. And um, it started out kind of us doing the packaging in-house because we have so many SKUs and packaging so important to us. And mm -hmm. we like to evolve and tweak our packaging. We think it's a really, really important piece of communication. Uh, and we used to have multiple packaging agencies to get all this packaging work done. And... Um, we in-house that, so we had a lot of graphic designers and we're doing that, and they just understood the products better and how the products were made and the claims because they sat with, you know, through regulatory and legal. And so it was just easier, faster, better, and then we kind of branched out from there and then started doing our own, you know, we always did our own social. Mm -hmm. We started doing digital, then we started doing our, you know, advertising, and it just grew to the point now where we, we do about 90% of it internally and we do it really well I think, and we do it very fast. And I think the people have, uh, our team has tremendous pride and knowledge. And they're in, they're in the demand team now. We combine marketing and sales. So they actually can talk to salespeople directly and get customer feedback. They can talk to the CLT directly, get consumer feedback. So the designers and art directors and writers are just so much more informed. And it's, you know, it, more informed than they would ever be if they work for the external agency. Yeah, so that's sort of anticipated my next question because it was going to be about the disadvantages of in-housing and that I think one of them I would imagine is you don't, you're, you're in the room with all the same people and you don't, yeah. you don't bring that outside perspective. That, that's, we're not there yet because mm -hmm. this is, you know, we're a year or two into this journey, mm -hmm. but um, it's a big worry of mine because I think if you get too insular and you drink your own Kool-Aid too much, mm -hmm. um, it's not good. And I think you do need opposing views. I think you need fresh perspective. Um, that's come from us uh, right now. We've been hiring so many people. Mm. So we're getting fresh perspective through growth and new people. But the second um, that plateaus and it's the same people talking about the same stuff um, with not a lot of outside perspective, um, you could be less culturally relevant you could be less creative, um, 
And so that is a concern, mm-hmm. I think, medium to long term. Um, not short term for us because we're, it's still very dynamic now. Mm-hmm. And we're growing and hiring people, a lot of different people and a lot of diverse people. Um, but that, that is the Achilles heel, um, mm-hmm. for sure. What, um, as we mentioned, short term versus long term, there's a lot of talk about the, the terms of CMOs in general and how short they've been. They may be ticking up slightly. Uh, you've outlasted, I guess, the <laughs> industry average. What are you, what's your take on what's happening with CMOs in, uh, in, in your space? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, we had a rough patch last year. Mm-hmm. We had many good years and it's not fun. And when you run all of demand, um, when I took on sales too, mm-hmm. you know, it's a pretty lonely place to be when you're not, when you're not growing to the degree you want to grow. Um, but I, you know, look, I think it's kind of lazy for companies just to blame the CMO. You know, you know, a lot of CMOs don't have as much um, as a CMO has at Chobani because I think Chobani is just a smaller company. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of atypical to have marketing, sales, and corporate communications and all that. But right. CMOs are very, very influential. But they're not the reason for a brand's – they're not the sole reason for a brand's demise or a brand's better days. And I think, um, I think it's uh, – I think a lot of people blame CMOs for their own self-preservation, and it's frankly not fair. Mm. And the churn that causes um, hurts brands. It's disruptive, for sure. It hurts brands yeah. because then, you know, you're going to have a new CMO who's going to – she or he are going to want to do it their own way, right. reinvent the brand or rejuvenate the brand, and then all of a sudden the brand is in chaos and churn, and that's not healthy mm-hmm. for the business ultimately. And so I think CMOs – should be celebrated more for, for the good because mm-hmm. it's very funny when when sales are growing, it's everybody's fault but the CMO. <laughs> um, and then you know, and I think they should be picked on less when when sales are declining or not where they need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't be the sole reason for the decline and and not the reason for the incline. Right, it's just right. not fair. It's total right. freaking BS. <laughs> What um what about the agency model? Yeah, you know, you were at McCann for thirteen years. Would love to know hear stories about that time. But um is the is the holding company model uh in, in need of rethinking or evolving? Yeah, I mean I think one thing I, I have learned from going on the client side is all the annoying things we did as agency people. <laughs> you know, and uh and I sat and watched a few pitches and things like that, because we we did a bunch of pitches when I first came six years ago. And I just saw myself in every agency pitching, and we're we can be annoying. And I, What's I mean, I was annoying? super annoying. <laughs> like, well, you don't. I mean, we don't shut up. Yeah. Uh, we know it all. We're verbose. Um, we don't get to the freaking point. And we all think that the CMO has uh, like deeply cares about this shit. Mm-hmm. Like deeply cares, and they don't. <laughs> Because they have all this other stuff to do, mm-hmm. and so as ad people, we can we can inflate our uh, ourselves a little bit and our, our and our importance. And um, I, I remember like we would do you know rough cuts of it, or we do a pitch and we wouldn't hear back for like two weeks. We'd be like, "How dare!" I mean, what? We thought we killed it. Like we haven't heard back. Well, you know, they went on and heard other agencies, and then they had their business to run, and then so probably something happened, and. Mm-hmm. They were probably launching new innovation and they're distracted, but we're like, I can't even believe this. We haven't heard back in two weeks. Or, you know, you know, um, we have a rough cut to show and we do this ad campaign and it's the greatest thing and it's our higher calling and it's, and it's our opus. 
and we want to show it to the client, we can't get a hold of the CMO. It's mm -hmm. like, well, because the CMO wants to see the ad, but it's like one of, it's no disrespect. Right. They're just doing, and I didn't realize this because I had my own blinders on when I was 22 years in the agency business. Mm -hmm. And now it's, now I look back and it's like, yeah, I like the ads and I like agencies and I like the people that work at agencies. I just got other stuff going oh, on. Business to run, right. And uh, it's nothing personal. So I think it's, it's just, I learned a lot there. Mm -hmm. um, it's very, very funny. And then, you know, the other thing about presenting too much work and not having a point of view and trying to cast a broad net and we all this stuff. And in the end of the day, it's just kind of a lot of us talking to one another. Right. Um, but do I, see, do I think the advertising agency business is broken? It would be provocative for me to say, uh, no, it's not broken. Should it continue to evolve? Yes. Should they know more about business and a client's business because that's really all that people care about uh yes mm -hmm. um should they take themselves a little less seriously probably uh but agencies will be around forever mm -hmm. um clients need agencies we still use agencies like i said we just use less of them and then who knows in a year from two we'll probably use more than we do today mm -hmm. um and the holding companies as long as holding companies let their agency brands do um, what they need to do to serve their clients and lead their clients and um, unleash creativity on their clients' behalf, holding companies are great if they overstretch and overreach and it becomes all about earnings per share Cutting, and all about yeah. – and I think, you know, that can, that can really, you know, that can dumb down advertising. And I don't think that's the holding company's intention. I work for Omnicom and IPG and mm -hmm. they're both really well-run companies and, and very successful, different but successful in their own right. How would you characterize the differences between the two? Um, listen, I think in the end, I thought they were, I thought they were going to be more different than they were mm -hmm. because both have shareholders mm -hmm. and boards and you need to show growth, both top and bottom line. Um, and you're a public company and you need to show that growth quarterly. Mm -hmm. And so the agencies have to perform. And it's not like you're being, it's not like you're picking on the agencies. Everyone has to perform because in aggregate, you know, your agencies perform, the holding company performs, and you manage your investors uh, and your board and your stock, and you create wealth for your shareholders. And that's really what it's all about, fundamentally. Um, I think all, all holding companies are in search of great agency brands and to do great work. Mm -hmm. So they go about it differently, and their agencies are different. But in the end, I think they're more similar than dissimilar. Um, they're all public. They all need to create shareholder wealth. And I think at their core, they all want creativity. Mm -hmm. um, I think some are more... Uh, sincere. Yeah, sincere, <laughs> for okay. sure. Um, and, uh, but I think they're all... I think they're more similar than dissimilar in the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can't say that for yogurt companies, I guess. God, no. <laughs> We're the only damn good yogurt company out there. Uh, um, to what extent we hear CMOs uh, being forced to also be more, more and more tech savvy, really? I don't know if for an analog product like yogurt that comes into play for you, but is there a data element to your business? That, yeah, or? there is. I mean, there's a data element. We have to know who's buying our products. For we sure. have to know where we're winning and losing. Mm -hmm. And we have teams and reams of people like looking at data all day long. Mm -hmm. um, and for all for everything that's changed, 
a lot of it hasn't changed. I mean, you know, you're still going to look at Nielsen. Mm -hmm. I dare say, you know, <laughs> you want to gain share in Nielsen, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. um, I don't care who you are. I don't care how young of a company you are, how old of your company. You want to, you want share growth. Mm. Um, and so, look, I think that's another. We still do television. I'm proud to say, I dare say, <laughs> we do TV. It works for us. We're a young company. We have low awareness. Yogurt's got low household penetration. It's still a very efficient way for us to get our word, our message out. Having said that, we do an incredible amount of earned, mm -hmm. very successfully, because we have a founder. Uh, who's a gift when it comes to storytelling and brand building. Uh, and we have a great story. We do, we, we're socially native as a company. We're, that's how we grew up, and that's how we, you know, and we still have Chobaniacs online. They're avid, rabid fans that, that want to talk to us all the time. But we use a combination of very traditional tactics. I mean, we are doing, we in-house um, our retail execution team. Hmm. A lot of companies broker that out. And, you know, by July, we're going to have 100 Chobani employees just hitting stores, putting wobblers and danglers and shelf, stocking shelves where and replenishing shelves where there's out-of-stocks. There's a couple of share points of growth just in better retail execution. It's incredibly basic, but it works. And it's very close down the, it's down the funnel, and the ROI is on it. Excellent. Uh, and our social ROI is great. And then we do television. So I think, again, you, as a CMO, you have to have your own playbook. And I think... It's not all shiny object stuff. And you need to do what works for your brand at your brand's stage in its life mm -hmm. and what you're trying to do. And um, I find it, you know, DMP, like everyone does DMP. It's, mm -hmm. it's fine. But you don't do DMP at the expense of up, up the funnel broad awareness when you have low awareness and low household penetration. Mm -hmm. So I think the combination of, of vehicles and channels um, should be based on where you are as a company and what your goals are as a brand. And um, if old school stuff works, go old school. Um, old there's school. nothing wrong with it. Um, so, you know, just be courageous enough to admit you're doing it and doing it successfully. Great. And I'm also curious more to know more about you and your background. How did you... You go straight into advertising out of school, or what? What, what drove did. you into the industry in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think my dad maybe uh, piqued my interest a while back. He he worked for a big textile company called Burlington Industries, and they mm. they made um, so they have like the, the, the denim factories, or is that they had mills <laughs> way back when? And I'm dating myself, but they like they would make the fabric that went into carpets and yes. furniture and drapes and curtains and things like that, but they even made the denim that, you know, for Levi's. Mm -hmm. um, and he was in marketing and then and then went on from there, but he he pioneered the first crafted in pride uh, in the USA campaign. Mm. So before that, there was no origin labeling. Made in so the you USA. So you just had no idea where anything was made. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he lobbied the government mm -hmm. and, um, and, and sponsored this whole campaign where you had to put where the stuff was made. And it was a milestone moment for America and, 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 uh, because, you know, things were getting, you know, sent offshore to be milled and made. We were losing jobs. Unemployment was high. And, you know, he wanted consumers to have the choice. He wanted to make people aware of, you know, if it's made somewhere other than the U S you can still buy it, but you should know. Right. This seventies, eighties, this is eighties. Yeah. And, um, anyway, I think I got really 
piqued by that because I thought it was really interesting and it wasn't advertising. It was more of a lobbying effort that became a social movement in its day. Um, and look, I started working at McCann Erickson in, in the accounting department. I was a lifeguard down on the Jersey Shore and, mm-hmm. you know, I woke up one day and said, I, I, I just, I, I love lifeguarding, but I can't, can't do this forever. And I would come into the city and I, I paid invoices on a Donovan system which is kind of an antiquated computer system. And I, you know, would plug in all the media spots that ran and try to pay ABC and NBC. And if one, take me an hour to put one of them in there because mm-hmm. he had so many spots running for like Coke or, you know, some big brand. And then if one of them ran outside of the time period, it was discrepant. You couldn't even pay the invoice. So huh. it's like I input this thing for two hours. I couldn't even pay, you know. <laughs> and it was tedious work. And um, and then from there, I but you, you know, loved it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was just a way in. Mm-hmm. So then I, I uh, graduated college, and then I, I went in and, and said, hey, I've been an intern, and mm-hmm. I'm ready, and I want to be in account management. And they said, oh, no, you need to be an MBA. And I was like, MBA? And, uh, but, you know, we can put you in the media department. And, and I was like, no, 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 I want account management. They're like, no, 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 no. So I went into the media department in the local broadcast department, which was a rough place to be. Local in Jersey? Um, local broadcast, meaning any oh, local oh, any buying. Local, right. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. Gotcha. and it was a pretty rough place to be, um, but it was a way in, mm-hmm. you know. I made, you know, $16,800 a year. Rolling it. And uh, I was rolling in it. <laughs> and then I got into the McCann training program. I think it was M- MTP at the time. Yeah. And uh, we had to pitch a, uh, a campaign to the, ma- you know, executive management at the time. And uh, there's a bunch of different teams, and our team won, and... And they said, look, maybe we should consider this kid for account management. And I scooted over to account management and then... Never did the MBA? Never did the MBA and, and went on to be, you know, VP, SVP, EVP, CEO, very quick and young. Yeah. So um, it, it was, a, you know, McCann was a great place. It was, um, you know, our old motto in our credentials that we would send to um, prospects was, you know, they, they'd take a bullet for their client, mm-hmm. you know? And it was kind of like, you know, old school, tough, tough place, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Harris Diamond's old school, tough Brooklyn guy. He right? is a tough Brooklyn guy before yeah. him. So I was the Dooner yeah. person, but I know, I've known Harris for tw- over 20 years mm-hmm. and he's a great guy. And he embodies that. He really does embody the culture of McKenna. It's a very specific culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and they would really go above and beyond. And that, that was top down. I mean, that was not a. That was the essence of that place. And if you worked really hard and won business and grew clients and did right by your clients, you were successful. Mm-hmm. It was very clear, you know, what, w- what it would take <laughs> to be successful for better or worse. Um, and it wasn't for everybody, and that's right. okay. Right. But uh, I learned so much, and, um, and I have a l- I basically, you know, kind of have McCann to blame for my success. McCann was, he, was your MBA. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm gonna go. It's get fun. It. I'm gonna go get some. I'm craving yogurt. I like hanging out in the closet here. <laughs> it's a little. It's a little closety. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little closety, but you know, we do what we can. Thanks again for joining. Us. You're welcome. Thanks. Thanks to Peter McGinnis for joining us today on the podcast. Peter is the CMO of Chobani Yogurt. I'm Brian Breaker, editor of AdAge, and you have been listening to AdLib, produced by Max Sternlicht. 
I want to thank our sponsor, Quad. Did you know that the phrase integrated marketing turns up 683 million search results? I didn't know that. Did you know nobody can agree on what it means? I didn't know that. Quad, formerly Quad Graphics, helps brands reduce complexity and deliver truly integrated marketing. Find out more at quad.com. And you can find out more about us at adage.com. You can subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Play, wherever there are podcasts. And be sure to come back next week and tell a friend.